Well, howdy, y'all. Welcome to You're a Mom on Drugs, the podcast where myself, Joshua Klaus, and my mother, Jennifer Seltzer, um, talk about drugs. Probably not the ones that you maybe want to talk about, but we're going to talk about them anyway. Um, on this episode, we're actually going to be discussing the common cold, um, which is fairly common, um, especially this time of year, which we're recording it, which is March in Texas. Um, and it's probably a little bit more common, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, so since everyone usually goes through this, hence the common cold, we're just going to talk about kind of what a cold is. So, um, mom, how would you define a cold? Well, a cold, the common cold is actually, it's a virus and, and it is a virus of the upper respiratory tract. So your nose, your throat, you know, your, um, sinus areas and stuff are the, the, the parts that are usually most, you know, in, included in the symptoms when you have a cold. Are the sinus areas, are those the things like feeling above your eyes? No, it's, of... it's the part that's kind of next to your nose and your kind of your cheek area. Oh, okay. Is. So just right to the right and left of my nose. Like right. if I drew a line right from my nostril. Right. Under my eyes. Okay. Right. Um, uh, you may have some sinus cavities in your forehead as well, too. I would have to double check that. But for sure, the ones that I think about the most are the ones that are kind of in your face and stuff. So, And, um, and the, the, the virus that is most commonly associated with the common cold is a rhinovirus. But actually, coronaviruses and adenoviruses can also cause the common cold. Um, they represent about 60% of all disorders that have nasal stuffiness and discharge, the common cold does. And it usually has a kind of a slow onset. It can take anywhere from 12 to 36 hours for those symptoms to progress. We all know what those, what it feels like. All of a sudden you have a scratchy throat or your nose starts being a little stuffy and it can progress. And then usually the symptoms can last up to nine to 10 days, usually when you have a cold. Nine to 10 days. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And you said that most of the viruses that cause the common cold are called rhinoviruses. Rhinoviruses. Mm -hmm. and I, yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but rhino is it's the the prefix of that means nose. Yes, correct? that's correct. Yeah, that is correct. Yes. Okay. Um, interestingly, just a few little fun facts about the common cold. There are one billion cases that occur in the United States annually every year. A billion. A cases? billion cases. It is one of the top five illnesses in the United States. And adults typically will have two to three colds a year, but kiddos will have maybe six or so per year. That makes sense because there's about 330 to 350 million people in the States. So if you're getting three times a year, that's roughly a billion cases. Right, yeah. right. And so they can, like you, like you mentioned earlier, colds can happen at any time of the year. They are a little bit more common in the winter months. Um, and they are, they, they can cause... They can be the leading cause of absences from both work and school um, because, you, you know, you just don't feel all that great. They're usually self-limiting. Um, and they, like I said, they can, they, they can last up to 10 days in adults. Some kiddos, it can last up to three weeks. So just the leftover symptoms and stuff. Um, and most of the, the drugs that are used to treat the common cold are over-the-counter medications, and we can spend up to $8 billion on those medications annually to, to take care of the symptoms associated with the common cold. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about those treatments in just a second. I kind of want to go back to, so one of the things you mentioned is that they can be transmitted more in the winter. 
like yes. during the winter. Is there a reason for that? Like why they would spread more in the winter than in the summer? I would say a couple of those reasons are that when when we're in the winter months, we are more confined into the same space. And again, remember that the common cold is transmitted either directly through touch or the secretions that you excrete, like sneezing or coughing or even talking. So if you're in more confined spaces because it's colder and you can't go outside and run and play, then that's going to be one of the reasons why that that's going to be one of the reasons why colds might happen more frequently in the winter time. Okay. Um, so is uh, this this is a dumb question, but is the reason why it's called the common cold is because it's common when it's cold? <laughs> I don't know exactly. Um, I that it could be. Right. It could be. Somebody look that up and and send us a, a tweet or whatever a yes. message. That would be really nice to know. Um, another thing that you I know, um, you said that sixty percent of all colds are caused by rhinoviruses. Are there other types of viruses that cause the common cold as well? Um, yes, the coronavirus as well as the adenovirus are the are other common okay. are other um, viruses that can cause the common cold. But so, coronavirus, not like something like like not not the COVID virus, but it is in that same grouping of of viruses and oh. stuff. So okay, so you have like oh, so coronavirus is like a it's like a family of viruses. Yes, and you can in, get infected by one of the members of that family. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's a certain coronavirus that will cause something like COVID, which is like sorry, SARS-CoV-2. Right. And then you have. Sorry. <laughs> speaking of colds. Yes. And uh, my unfortunately, my mom has a cold. Well, she's on the tail end of a cold right yes. now. This is perfect timing. That is. And yeah. the cough is the last thing to go. So. <laughs> yes. And um. And then you, so then you have something like maybe another type of coronavirus that will cause cold-like symptoms. Yes, yes. But it could be a lot of, a lot of different types of coronaviruses just because viruses evolve and replicate. So right. Fast. Okay. Right. Okay. So, Excellent. Yes. Okay. So let's say, uh, um, let's say that I have. I imagine they're spread by droplets since they're respiratory viruses. That correct, is correct. Right? Okay. And like either either from sneezing or or your saliva from talking and coughing. So yes. yes. And then it, and then if you touch a surface that that stuff has lasted landed on, then you could get it from that way as well. To doorknob, you know that kind of thing. Okay. And is there a certain amount of time? Like, for example, is one of the reasons why it's prevalent in the winter is because in the summer it's a little bit warmer and it'll evaporate those drops quicker. Like, so will that the basically the moisture be evaporated so there's no droplet for that thing to travel? I did not see anything in the literature that I read about that. That's something I definitely could try to check into and see if we can find the answer to that. Yeah. So. If anybody know, wants to look up the answer to that, um, feel free. I'm using the techniques that we have here of looking up things in, in the literature. Um, but, you know, this is all we do. We just ask questions and hopefully we have the answers to them. But sometimes we don't. And hopefully somebody's asked that question. Okay. So let's move to probably where people really care about, which is they have a cold and they're feeling lousy, um, like yourself. And, uh, you're on the tail end of feeling lousy and someone wants to get relief from the cold because, you know, in, in the stages of disease that there's prevention, which is doing things like washing your hands, staying away from people who are sick 
etc um but then there's also things like when you actually get the disease then you have to treat that disease so i think a lot of people who are listening to this might want to know how to treat their loved ones especially if you know kids are getting it and they're getting it three times a year or six times a year if you're a kid so what can people do when they've gotten these symptoms to help give them some relief or even short if there's a possibility of shortening the duration of the disease yes um so let's let's just really review really quickly the the symptoms that are usually associated with the common cold usually you can have a scratchy throat sore throat you know you're going to have um a um you know runny nose um you'll have nasal congestion you can have sneezing you can have you know discharge from your nose it usually can be clear it can turn color a little bit it doesn't necessarily mean that you have an infection if it does and then um a cough you kiddos can have a low grade fever associated with it but that's not really that common and then you just kind of feel you know kind of malaise just kind of kind of lethargic, kind of like you just don't feel like doing much and stuff. So the cough happens in about 30% of people. Um, and it's the thing that usually is the later symptom in a cold. I mean, it can last up to about three weeks. <laughs> Speaking that was great yes. timing. Wasn't that perfect? So, um, and so, uh, uh, Things to do, like you've you've mentioned, as far as things to do, as far as treating it. First of all, let me let me emphasize this. I can't emphasize this enough. The common cold is caused by a virus, a virus. So you can't treat a common cold with an antibiotic. Antibiotics are not going to work for the common cold. Now, if you end up with a um, secondary infection you know, due to the common cold, like you have an otitis media, an ear infection, and it happens to be bacterial, or you end up with a sinus infection, and it happens to be bacterial, then that would be the time for antibiotics. But otherwise, getting antibiotics prescribed for the common cold is really not a good idea. Because anytime that you take antibiotics and you don't need them, then you increase the chance of those organisms becoming resistant to that antibiotic. And then when you actually do need the antibiotic, it may not work as well. So we've got to be just discreet as to when we use the antibiotics. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's it's so easy for uh, medical professionals just to pr provide someone a Z-Pack, which is essentially the standard course for antibiotics. Um, when they don't have a proper diagnosis, like, well, it could be bacterial here, take a Z-Pack, but it, it could actually cause more harm than good later down the road. Like mom said, um, also you have uh, gut bacteria that help out in myriad ways. I, ha I highly recommend checking out, um, Dr. Huberman's podcast. Um, they talk a lot about some great science stuff and he does an episode on gut microbes, uh, that we'll link in, in this episode. Um, but that you also essentially run the risk of killing a lot of those, which can cause some downstream effects as well. Um, yeah. So you know, be careful when taking things that you don't necessarily need, like, right. like mom said. Right. And, jo and Josh talked about the fact that, you know, you want to use as far, as far as preventive measures for a cold or concern, hand washing, hand sanitizer, avoiding, um, uh, people who are sick, cleaning areas that may have been contaminated. Certainly, those are things that you can do to help prevent the the common cold. Um, things that have shown little or no effects in treating the common cold are 
ginseng, echinacea, vitamin C, and water gargles. So, I mean, Linus Pauling came up with vitamin C years ago as far as something to be used to treat the common cold, and it doesn't, there hasn't really been evidence that really support its use. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who want to, maybe we should talk about why that mechanism, I think there's a lot of people who think that vitamin C really does play a role um, in, in treating things like the common cold. And I don't really know what the mechanism that people suggest of why it should work. Um, because vitamin C, I, I, I think everyone out here knows that you should get your vitamin C. Um, the, the classic case study is one of the reasons people found it to be important is that when sailors were out at sea, um, they would develop this disease called scurvy. And scurvy is this nasty disease where essentially your skin almost starts kind of coming apart in various ways because vitamin C actually plays a role, um, I believe, in collagen formation. Mm, I think so, yes. And um, collagen is an important protein um, in keeping your skin nice and, and tight and actually maintaining its shape. It's why there's a lot of collagen treatments for like beauty products and things like that. Um, and when sailors were given fruits, or when they went to ports that had fruits and they were able to take those on board to eat them. Because when you're a sailor and you're out at sea, you're going to kind of eat anything uh, because it's you're, gonna, you're on a journey for months on end. They found that those individuals didn't have scurvy. And they said they thought that there must have been something in the fruit. And they found that that thing happened to be vitamin C. So vitamin C also has other uses. It's also an antioxidant, um, which, you know, antioxidants have various uses too that have kind of been debunked as well like it, they thought that there were some roles in anti-aging with antioxidants that haven't really panned out as well in the literature and in evidence um long story short vitamin c as well you can only take so much of it in a day um vitamin c is something called water soluble um if you've ever mixed cocoa powder or kool-aid inside of water and you notice that the powder disappears and it mixes with the water really well, that means that something's soluble, meaning that it sticks really well with water as opposed to something like oil or butter, which isn't water soluble. Actually, it'll, it'll separate quite well from water. It doesn't mix well with water. So whatever your body uses essentially will get used for that process like vitamin C. It'll be used for collagen formation or maybe some antioxidant um, properties, but then it'll just get rid of the rest. So even if you're taking 10 times the amount of vitamin C that your recommended dose, you're going to pee out, uh, you know, the, the remaining, t you know, nine X of what your body doesn't use. Um, and at looking at the literature, like my mom says, if you compare people who take vitamin C for a cold versus people who don't, then you notice no significant difference between the duration of the cold or the symptoms. Is, am I saying that correctly? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And we will we will find some studies for y'all and post it because I know a lot of people feel really passionate about things like vitamin C and um, I think ec echinacea. echinacea. I think a lot of people want this one this wonder drug this panacea this the uh, panacea is a word that basically means like a cure-all that like this thing's going to do everything and anytime you ever hear this thing's going to do everything your skeptical radar should kind of light up because things are probably more complicated than that and someone's trying to sell you something 
they can they can get a big profit margin off. And vitamin C is one of those really cheap things that you can make and you can charge for a lot of money. Um, and if it worked, that would be great. But in this case, with common colds, it doesn't work as well as advertised. So that's all we're saying. We want to give that caveat there. Um, so anytime we say something works, it's not our opinion. We would love vitamin C to work on colds because that would be a really nice, cheap mechanism um, for it to do. But unfortunately, it doesn't pan out. That doesn't mean the vitamin C doesn't work for everything. It has specific uses, just like anything in life. Things have specific uses for certain problems. All right. My rant is over. Okay. Mom, what else you got? Okay. So there are some non, what we call non-pharmacologic therapies that can be used in the common cold. Things like vaporizers and humidifiers to humidify, vaporize the air, make it a little moister. It'll help with breathing. It'll help get rid of the crud in your lungs and you're able to cough it up better and stuff. And so that's one thing that you can do. Um, you could use salt gargles, obviously salt, salt in water, gargling it. It can help relieve the sore throat symptoms. Uh, breathe right nasals, nasal strips that you purchase at you know, over the counter at the pharmacy or HEB or the grocery store or whatever. Um, they, you know, they stick over your nose bridge and they actually pull your nasal cavity open and it can help give you some relief as far as breathing and, and maybe your nose not running so much. And again, it's a non-pharmacologic mechanism. Um, you can also use things like Vicks Vapor Rub that has aromatic oils like menthol, um, in the, the 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 rub, you need to be careful with using it in kiddos because you don't want them to ingest those aromatic oils. They can be toxic to kids, but r rubbing it on the chest can help kind of open up your airways and help you breathe a little bit better and stuff. So um, babies that don't know how to blow their nose, you can, you can get, um, at one of the nasal aspirators, it's like that nasal bulb thing, and you can, you know, use it to, you know, to create suction to help the baby, the young child blow the stuff out of their nose so that they can get rid of that as well. Yeah, because mucus essentially is is collecting a lot of that virus or it, it should, basically a lot of those droplets and then you're expelling it out of your system. You basically want to limit the amount of virus that's in your system. So by getting the mucus and expelling that out of your body, you, you want to do that as much as possible, which is why you're saying like things like, um, Oh, what was the method that you said that increases mucus production? Um, Oh, the humidifier. Yes. Like when you do the, yeah, you essentially want to you know, expel cough it out. Yes. Yeah. You know, cough it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Living so, in Texas, you get plenty of humidity. So if you live in a place that's very dry, um, it, it might also be good to get a humidifier. Yeah. If you have, aches and pains or low-grade fever associated with the common cold, then you can take analgesics like Tylenol, acetaminophen, or a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug like ibuprofen. We want to avoid using aspirin in kiddos because aspirin has been associated with a condition called Rye syndrome. Rye syndrome is a pretty significant and it could be a potentially fatal disease it has encephalopathy, which means kind of a swelling of the brain. Um, it can have some changes in your liver, and you can have fatty infiltration into your liver, and it can make somebody really sick. And so they're just they're, what investigators found was that there was an association between kiddos who had fever or flu 
and using aspirin that they had an increased risk of developing this rye syndrome. So aspirin is kind of a no-no in kiddos. So that's really good to know. I did not know that. I think there are a lot of people out there who don't even like taking things, just NSAIDs in, in general. Um, I think there's a lot of fear out there that by ingesting them, I think any pharmaceutical that there's going to be some downstream effect that could potentially harm them. So what can you say to the people? Like if you're having aches and pains, you know, what is, and if they don't want to take something like Tylenol or ibuprofen, like what would you say to those people who have concerns about those types of drugs of maybe having downstream effects? Well, I think that taking something for a short term is not going to be that awful. You know, you're talking about a couple of doses a day. I mean, there are limits as far as how much Tylenol you can take per day, and you don't want to exceed that. But certainly, um, if you've got a fever, taking Tylenol makes you feel better because fever makes you not feel so good. Um, But again, you just got to follow the limits as far as what's the guidelines and using it discreetly you know, not very often just as needed is, is going to be, I think, you know, as, as safe as you, you know, as safe as it can be, unless you have some underlying uh, condition, like you had liver disease, or you had renal uh, kidney disease, you know, then then you may have some other guidances that your doctor might give you as far as using those medications. Yeah, so these, these NSAIDs, these pain relievers, they or able in the short term, by short term, you just mean when a couple you, of days, yeah. you know, a couple of times a day for a couple of Your days. Your body's able to metabolize those and the metabolites, AKA the things that are created from your body metabolizing them aren't going to be harmful in the short term, or they haven't been shown to be harmful in the short term. For the most part, it just, it does depend on underlying diseases that people might have. If you have a history of having a bleeding ulcer in your stomach, then you're going to probably want to avoid taking things like aspirin or ibuprofen. And you could take Tylenol instead because they don't have that same kind of a risk associated with it. Okay. Yeah. So. I think we should maybe just, uh, can you just give a brief summary of why Tylenol and aspirin aren't the same thing? Like what, why is one better than the other? I don't know. Or that not, I shouldn't say better. Like wh- where do they act differently? to give somebody be like, okay, if you're having liver problems, if you have an ulcer, you know, take Tylenol instead of um, ibuprofen. Right. So Tylenol is, it, it, it can, it can reduce fever and it can control pain. It doesn't have an inflammation. It doesn't reduce any inflammation or swelling. So it doesn't have that type of an action. Does it act at the the brain then does it just basically block the the receptors then so yes you're right josh um tylenol or acetaminophen does work in at the at, in the brain you know and works on different uh receptors in the brain whereas something like aspirin or um, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug they more are working at um on, on other enzymes that help to reduce prostaglandins, which causes inflammation. And so they're going to target more inflammation. They can also reduce pain and fever, but they've got that extra inflammation component that they work on as well. Gotcha. Okay. So let me just try to summarize this for our listeners. So you have an inflammatory event, which is essentially your body responding 
to the invasion of a pathogen, in this case, the common cold. And the inflammation is essentially trying to aid you in getting rid of this pathogen, aka the, the common cold. And so to reduce the inflammation event, you can either reduce the inflammation itself, and you can do that via things like aspirin or non-steroidal an NSAID, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. Or you can just dampen the signal that the body is sending to the brain. And acetaminophen will essentially just dampen that signal and say, hey, I know you're feeling pain right now. I'm just going to turn the volume of that down just a little bit. So inflammation is still doing its work. You just won't feel the, the I guess you'll it'll diminish the sensation of pain. That is correct. Okay. You got that right. Yes. Cool. That's a great, I had no idea. That's a really cool thing. I, I always thought that the ibuprofen and um, acetaminophen just acted the same way. Um, I guess they would be called the same thing if they acted the same way. So, right. So, and they end up with, you know, so the, uh, Tylenol is metabolized more in the liver. And so that's why if you, you know, if you take too much of it, you can end up with really bad liver problems and it can kill you if you overdose on Tylenol. Whereas things like aspirin or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, you you probably heard more of, you know, they can cause gastrointestinal bleeding or they can affect your kidneys in a, in a bad way and stuff. And so that's just different, just different ways that they're gotten rid of and different targets that they have that cause their adverse effects. And too much should be defined. It's usually on the bottle, but I would say, I, I'm trying to remember the milligram amount, but I feel like it's, do you remember the milligram amount of how much you should not take in a day or in a given time period? Well, it, it's going to depend. Um, some people will take NSAIDs um, because they have uh, um, arthritis and those doses are higher. Um, but typically I'm thinking to treat um, a, inflammation or a fever associated with a common cold. You're talking about taking one to two tablets, you know, every six hours, every eight hours. So yeah, I guess I think a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to take more because the pain hasn't gone away. I guess what, what, how many tablets would you say don't go beyond this for the average person? You could, I mean, again, that it's going to be patient specific, I think, um, you know, probably I'm thinking, you know, and, and again, each, each medication is going to be different as well too. Um, so I would say probably the two tablet, you know, rule every, uh, you, I, I would say probably taking eight or 10 tablets a day is probably going to be, you know, your, your max, um, with, with dividing it, it might not be eight and dividing it every, you know, six hours, eight hours. It might be six tablets if you only take it every eight hours. Okay. So that's good to know. I think for guides, I think people are like, what is too much? My pain isn't going away. And that, that might just mean that your pain, you know, isn't going to be treatable with these, with these drugs. And it might be another route, but usually with something like the common cold, these have pretty good efficacy for, for diminishing that type, this type. Right. Of pain. Yeah. If you're in that pain much pain, yeah. Too. If you're that much pain yeah. for a common cold, there could be something else going wrong too. So. Yeah. And as mom mentioned with arthritis, just for all those nerds out there, itis means inflammation. So anytime you see a, the, the suffix, <laughs> suffix itis, that means it's inflammation. Um, so, um, you essentially want to take something to diminish that inflammation, um, if, if you wanted to do that. So arthritis is the inflammation of the joints, um, which is why you might have to take higher doses. Okay. 
I think we uh, geeked out on pain uh, okay. a bit. So let's continue on. So we talked about the symptoms of the the common cold, um, and we talked about how to treat those, at least the pain. Um, what symptoms are we on now? Well, you can also use, uh, there are some medications that contain local anesthetics for sore throat pain, things like Sepacol, um, lozenges, um, or the, I think there are some sucrets that have um, a, a something called di, diclonine in it, which is a local anesthetic. You want to be careful about using those in, in young kids. In fact, you shouldn't use them in kids less than two. But, um, and, and, uh, but there are some things like that that can be used to just give you some relief as far as your sore throat are is those, concerned. Are the, uh, they're over the counter. Okay, they're over the counter. Yes. But they're not throat drops like what you would buy like Halls or... No, no. They're, these, these are going to specifically have either benzocaine or diclonine in them. And so you'd have to look. I, I don't have the list. I, I know Sepacol is one of them. And I believe Sucrets has a... Uh, a product that has diclonine in it that's going to give you more local anesthetic type effects. Okay. And what exactly is an anesthetic again? What does that it's mean? It's going to kind of numb, you know, the area. It's just going to kind of make you feel like that you're, you can't feel the pain right at that particular time period. Is that different than an analgesic? It's a little bit different than an analgesic. Okay. Yes. Cause I always hear anesthesia and you feel like you're going to sleep, but it just kind of numbs the area a little okay. bit is kind of what this the, these do and stuff. Yeah, anesthetics can put you to sleep, but not these per se. They're just going to kind of target that throat area and kind of give you a little bit of relief when you have a kind of a tough sore throat. Okay, so it's just kind of diminishing sensation. And if you think of anesthesia in an operating room, you're diminishing all sensation, which is a.k.a. knocking you out. Right. Okay. Right. Cool. So, yeah, those are over the counter. And then what about... What about throat drops? Like, what about things that will give you relief from your scratchy throat or your cough? Or you can certainly use those. You know, everybody's going to have their own favorite. They're not um, damaging per se. You know, again, the only ones you want to worry about—not worry about per se—but just maybe use more caution with—are going to be these ones that do have actually a local anesthetic in them and stuff. The other things are just—they may have menthol in them, or just kind of just give you that. You know, keep keep your, you're just as comfortable as you possibly can be. Yeah. I know when I have a cold, I can go through a bag of those throat drops. Is there a danger with going through like an entire bag of throat drops or is it just in a day? Probably so. But, um, but yeah, but, um, I would have to look up, like, I think that there are, you know, it, I mean, any, anything in excess can cause a problem. So, um, so I wouldn't eat a whole bag in a day, but you know, um, but there are probably some limits. Uh, I would just have to look that up. So other things that we use commonly in treating a common cold are decongestants. Um, so that's going to kind of dry you up and you can either take oral decongestants or nasal intranasal decongestants. Those are all over the counter, but remember, um, Pseudoephedrine or Sudafed is an is a medication that you have to ask the pharmacist for. Um, it's been that, that way for about 15, 16 years because uh, people just discovered how to make methamphetamine from using Sudafed. So uh, it's now it's now um, kind of restricted as far as how how much you can buy and how frequently you can buy it. And you have to you have to provide your driver's license. 
believe you have to be 16 years old um, or 16 or 18 years old to purchase uh, Sudafed. And um, again, it's a, it's, a, it, it's a fairly high number that you can buy, but um, you uh, it, it, again, it's for a particular time period and then you can't buy it again. Um, so yeah, that was, that's uh, Sudafedrin is one of my favorite drugs. Uh, it really does open up that airway and just makes things, you know, it feels like you've just widened the highway of your, your throat. It, it is quite wonderful. Right. If you have high blood pressure though, or if you have glaucoma, which is kind of pressure in your eye, or if you have um, other uh, types of heart disease or an enlarged prostate, taking a decongestant can can exacerbate those diseases. It can make your blood pressure go up. It can make the eye pressure in your eye go up. It can make it harder for you to pee if you have an enlarged prostate. So in some patient populations, using a decongestant, especially an oral decongestant, might not be as good of an idea. And you're going to have to use some other options, um, like maybe a Breathe Right strip or uh, uh, using um, a... um, uh, you know, a humidifier and stuff, it th- other things, because it, it, it's, it could possibly cause more, more harm than good. So that's well said. We should remind people to remember if, uh, if there is no side effect, there probably is no effect. Um, remember you're taking, you're putting something in your mouth and then it's going into your digestive system, which then will put the drug into your bloodstream and as you know, with your blood, it pretty much goes all over your body. And um, it's going to take that drug all over your body. And the way that drugs work is that they have molecules, we call them antigens, and they will essentially just attach to different receptors on different cells in your body. And just like a key fitting into the lock of a door, if the key fits and it turns, it will open that door. It doesn't care if it doesn't want you to open that door. It will just open it. And so sometimes something that will relieve something in one area of your body might exacerbate a problem in another area of your body, depending on who you are, which is why those pharmaceutical commercials usually have those lists of side effects at the end of it, because everybody is different. Um, it's And a lot of people think, oh, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are just trying to you know, basically hide all their side effects. Sometimes they are like sometimes pharmaceutical companies really do want to hide all the bad sides to their drugs because they're in the business of making money. But at the same time, just be aware of basic biology is that if you put something in your body, it's going to interact with something and that there's always going to be trade-offs, which is why we want y'all to be educated of what things can do bad or good. And you can make an educated decision. And depending on who you are and if you feel like this drug would work well for you, something like Tylenol or Sudafed, but you feel like you've heard that you have an enlarged prostate or another condition, that'd be good to talk to your doctor before taking something like Sudafed because you don't want to make that condition worse. Right. Um, so you could also talk to your pharmacist as well, too. They will know that as well. Pharmacists are pretty cool. So. Um, another thing, let me just bring out another point as we're talking about adverse effects associated with decongestants. So oral decongestants like Sudafed or, um, the other, the other, uh, decongestant that you can find in, um, cold products that's not behind the pharmacy counter is phenylephrine. It, it, it's not as potent as Sudafed and I don't find it to work as well, but it is available and it can, it can do the, you know, it, it can decongest you as well too. So, but, um, yeah, I think there's a product out there called Bronchade. 
Um, I think it's, I, I've used that before when I couldn't get pseudoephedrine and it was, yeah, it wasn't as effective. Yes. You know? So there are some that have that in there, but the other thing I want to bring out to, uh, to, to your uh, knowledge or to, to the forefront as well too, is when you use nasal decongestants, things like Afrin, um, you want to limit that to no more than using it for three days because the nasal decongestants can cause rebound congestion. So you could end up getting congested again and it's actually due to the medication and not the disease state itself. Wow. So well, how does that work? The answer isn't really well defined in the literature. I can speculate that it may be because it causes uh, prolonged use can cause irritation of the nasal mucosa, which then could cause more nasal congestion. But that's just a guess on my part. I'm not really exactly sure. Cool. Well, that's good. But I like the three day rule. It's just like, yeah, use them for three days. And then, you know, kind of after that, it, you might be causing more problems down the road. Right. Cool. So you might need to use some other mechanisms to open that nasal passage. Excellent. All right. So we talked about, yeah, nasal decongestions and, um, you know, you can you can use antihistamines in combination with a decongestant to treat a cold, but you would not want to use an antihistamine by itself to treat a cold because an, there's not a lot of histamine production in a cold per se, and so antihistamines aren't going to really help your symptoms that much. Um, I think there are some studies that show that the combined use can provide some extra benefit. Why that is, I, I, I'm not exactly sure. So Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, a couple other things. You can get a prescription for a drug called Ipratropium. It's an intranasal spray. It's an anticholinergic agent. So that means it's kind of like a drying agent. You know, it's going to kind of dry things up. It is a prescription, though, and it's going to be for those people who get pretty significant colds and have a lot of nasal congestion and need a little bit of an extra help or boost, you know, to kind of control that symptom. Okay. And that would be something that you have to get prescribed by yes, a by medical a, professional. By a medical professional. Yes. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention, and this has come into play, uh, maybe, maybe it's been around for 20 years now, but zinc, um, zinc has, has, there's a there is some evidence that if you, you, if you have high zinc concentrations that they could cause the, that rhinovirus that is one of the common causes of the common cold to not adhere to the nasal passages. And so it may block viral replication, but the data are not really, really strong. And it's really got only a modest antiviral effect, but still you can take something like Zycam the thing when you take something like that, Zycam comes in a bunch of different dosage forms, chewable tablets and syrup and nasal spray. When you use it, you have to give it every two hours um, so that you get these higher concentrations of zinc. But it could reduce the number of days that you have a cold by a couple of days. Yeah, because you're essentially trying to stop the virus from replicating as rapidly. So if the zinc can block the mechanism by which they replicate. Right. And essentially you'll, you'll, yeah. Get rid of it faster. So if, so what, what's recommended is that you would like to start taking the zinc as soon as you start noticing those cold symptoms and it may help you to get over a cold a little bit faster. Yeah. I remember reading about with, um, I think with, with SARS-CoV-2 is that remdesivir is a, uh, a drug that blocks viral replication, uh, but you have to take it really early on because if it, 
spirals out of control, then there's no point. You right. Know? So you, you if, as soon as you start feeling symptoms, it is imperative that you start taking uh, Zycam for right. a common cold. Right. Uh, because, yeah, if it's too late, there's kind of no point. The, you have so much virus in you that it's just going to be better to take other drugs. So this is a very early onset. Right. Um, don't get paranoid. Every now and then you get a scratchy throat and you you might feel a little bit of a headache. But I think if that stuff persists, then it's a it's a good idea to take. Yeah. Right. Right. So not a bad idea to have like some laws. If, if your throat is scratchy, you have some lozenges around that maybe have some zinc in them because that'll give you a bit of that benefit. Early right. On. You can start early yeah. on. Right. So so pretty much, you know, we know that. Uh, we've got, you know, a couple of uh, different kind of classes of agents to use to kind of control the symptoms associated with the common cold. Um, I would say that when we think about uh, how the common cold could be misunderstood, I'm thinking that primarily when I think about that, it's like, how can I tell if I've got a cold versus an allergy or um, the flu or pneumonia, and they do have different types of symptoms. And so I think that, um, that is definitely a way to figure out whether or not you've got one versus the other. You're not going to have a lot of fever associated with a common cold or with an, with an allergy, but you may have fever, significant fever with the flu or with pneumonia. And so, so different symptom patterns are going to help you figure out what you got going on. So there might be some other more serious, um, uh, symptoms that you're feeling associated with other diseases, things like pneumonia, things like the flu. Um, like if you have a fever, it's most likely going to be more likely to be a flu than it would be a common cold. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, if you've got productive, uh, cough, uh, your, your spit, your sputum is a, a crummy color. Um, you've got chest pain. You, you may have pneumonia, you know, okay. so, you know, and that's, you're obviously you're going to need to get some help from a healthcare provider. So. Pneumonia sounds like a great future episode. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Because I, there's also, there's viral and bacterial pneumonia. Correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Um, so. yeah, we also have a handy chart of, of, uh, essentially what's misunderstood between a common cold and a couple of these other ailments that seem similar. And we will post that on our, our Twitter and Instagram for y'all um, so that you guys can see that and take a look at that. Um, yeah. A couple let me, there's just a couple of last points that I'd like to make about the common cold before we move on to the next topic that we have. Um, one is that remember that over the counter cough and cold medications are not to be used in children younger than four years of age because they haven't been shown to be safe and effective in that that um, age group. Also, as much as we want to think that codeine or other uh, things that help us to stop a cough um, are are beneficial, there has not been evidence to support codeine or other antitussives, anti-cough medicines for use in the common cold. So pe people may take them still and um, and they may think it works, but for the most part, evidence hasn't shown that. And then um, um, remember, antibiotics are not effective for the common cold. I think those are great takeaways. Um, so for all of those suffering with a common cold, um, essentially some of the things that you can do before you get it is to wash your hands, um, stay away from people who you, you know have the common cold or at least are exhibiting symptoms. Um, and once you do get it, 
um, kind of follow these guidelines of when you have these symptoms to try to reduce the time. You can take some stuff with zinc to maybe reduce the duration of the the, the disease itself. Um, also taking things like Tylenol or ibuprofen, depending on who you are, might be better, as well as uh, pseudoephedrine or some other drugs. Um, so we're, we hope that you're not suffering from a cold right now. Um, but if you are, despite all this pharmacological advice, also, don't forget to pamper yourself, take some rest. Sleep is huge. Um, getting a good night's sleep, being very well hydrated as well is, a, is huge as well um, because you need a lot of fluid for your blood to move a lot of these healing agents around. Um, that's just good advice in general. If you can, get good sleep, get good hydration, um, get a little bit of physical exercise, um, you know, prior to getting cold. Um, and also, you know, do things that make you happy, um, especially when you're sick. You know, find that nice mug of tea that you really like or that comfort food that just makes you feel good because, uh, you know, it's, it's not good feeling bad. Uh, I know that my mom made me plenty of soup uh, <laughs> when I was when I had a cold um, uh, back when I was a kid. Not so much anymore because uh, she doesn't live at my house. But um, <laughs> with that being said, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you like what we do, feel free to subscribe to this podcast. Um, any of the platforms that you get your podcast. Um, also, you know, head to our Instagram and our Twitter for any of the graphics and papers that we use to support this episode if you want a deeper dive. And feel free to leave us a comment. We will try our best to answer any questions that you have. Um, we try to cover as much as we can, whatever pops into our brain. But we know there's you know so much more to know in this world, which is what makes it so interesting. Oh, So with that being said, uh, my name is Josh. And I'm Jennifer. And this has been your, an episode of Your Mom on Drugs. We'll see you next time.